Jeremiah chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, Hananiah's false prophecy, it, it begins and says, And it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, that is the temple, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah. In the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, here now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After Hananiah, the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And they shall serve him. I have also given him the beasts of the field. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. In chapter 27, here now chapter 28, chapter 29... We see the sufferings Jeremiah experiences as he proclaims the truth and begins to experience opposition. 
He declares the truth to the nations. He declares the truth to the king of of Judah and Jerusalem. He declares the truth to the priests and the prophets. He declares the truth to the people. And he's opposed by the false prophets. You'll remember that the Lord told him to make a yoke and to put it on his neck. And the yoke was a living symbol, an illustration of submission. To the plan of God and to the purpose of God. And what was the plan of God and what was the purpose of God? In this particular instance, the plan of God and the purpose of God was that the people of Judah and the nation surrounding Judah were going to be taken captive by the king of, Ju- by the king of Babylon. Because of their rebellion and because of their resistance and because of their persistent rebellion, God was going to judge the nation. And so, the yoke was meant to communicate the enslavement and the destruction, not only on the surrounding nations, but on Judah and Jerusalem. And so now Jeremiah faces opposition from the false prophet named Hananiah from Gibeon. The false prophecy of Hananiah is recorded in verses 1 through 4. And then Jeremiah's response to the false prophecy is recorded in verses 5 through 9. So the false prophet's deceit is outlined in verses 1 through 4. And then the false prophet's defiance is found in verses 10 and 11. But that deceit... And that defiance is going to ultimately spell doom for the false prophet in verses 12 through 17. You know, the Bible gives repeated warnings about false prophets. The Bible gives repeated warnings about those who declare or proclaim a different gospel, a different Jesus, another spirit other than God's Holy Spirit. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. And of course, most famously in Galatians chapter 1. And you might just turn there very, very briefly because I just want to spell it out for you. In Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verses 6 through 9, we read, Paul, speaking to the Galatians, says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from whom who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, sorry, Mormons, preach any other gospel to you other than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. You might wonder, why is it that you people always seem to bicker about things? But guess what? The Bible makes it abundantly clear. There are are certain things that are true. By the way, I've discovered that there are four things that are forever true. What do you suppose they are? But according to um, the editor of Encyclopedia Britannica, he wrote a... um, an article, a philosophical article 
on the nature of truth. And he said that truth, in order to be true, has these two characteristics. It's immutable, that means not subject to change. And incorrigible, that means not subject to perfection. In other words, for something to be true, it is not subject to change. It is not subject to perfection. It will always be true. It will always be true every time in every generation. And so I've discovered there are four things that are true. Always and forever. The Father. He's immutable and incorrigible. He's not subject to change or perfection. The Son. Jesus is not subject to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit. What do you suppose the fourth thing is? It's everything they say and do. Everything they say and do is forever true. So the Bible warns against false prophets. Jeremiah, and you might, as you read this chapter, you might think that the theme is Jeremiah's opposition to the false prophet. And that is certainly true. That is one of the underlying themes of the chapter. But really, the overwhelming theme of the chapter is that there is such a thing as truth. God's word. Jeremiah preaches the truth about God's message. The Bible speaks, by the way, of the enemies of truth. False gospels, false doctrines, false miracles, false gods, false Christs, false spirits, false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. These are the enemies of truth. Truth isn't always popular. But it's always right. Someone once said to lose one's wealth is much. To lose one's health is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss as nothing can restore. You know, it's one thing to lose your money and it's one thing to lose your health. But there's nothing more important than your soul. There's nothing more important than your soul. There's nothing more important than you having a right relationship with God and Jesus. And there's nothing more important that you go to heaven. And there's nothing more important that you avoid hell. And so in verse one, look what it says, the false prophets deceit. And it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. This is the same year, by the way, that's spoken of in chapter 27 at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah in the fourth year and in the fifth month that Hananiah, the son of Atsur, the prophet who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all of the people. One of the important things about this particular verse is you need to understand that the prophecy, the false prophecy that's being made is a public prophecy. It's made so that everyone can hear it. And so guess what? False prophets and false prophecies that are publicly made have to be publicly exposed for what they are. Wickedness and sin. Historians tell us that at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the fourth year, in the fifth month that is being spoken about, historians tell us that there was a revolt taking place in Babylon. And because there was a revolt taking place in Babylon, many of the false prophets became emboldened in their idea that 
Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to be able to retain power, that he was going to lose his grip and that he was going to lose his control and that he was going to lose his kingdom. As a matter of fact, he was busy putting down an internal revolt, and Hananiah saw that revolt as a sign that his rule was about to come crashing down. By the way, the name Hananiah is a beautiful name. In the Hebrew language, it means the Lord is gracious. The reason why I'm even bringing this up is because there are a lot of false prophets who say a lot of false things and they may have beautiful names and they may have beautiful churches and they may have beautiful ministries. But the most important thing about a teacher and a preacher isn't that he has hair that you can believe in. Or that he has a wonderful radio and television ministry. The most important thing is that the person says what is consistent with the word of God and the character of God. The name was fairly common. By the way, there are 14 different people mentioned in the Old Testament with the name Hananiah. We don't know anything about this man other than what's given right here in this chapter and verse. The man is from the village of Gibeon. This is a village that's located about five and a half miles north and west of Jerusalem. And so the false prophet makes a public prediction. This is the the point that I think I want you to sear in your mind. Why? Because when a false prophet makes a public prediction, the false prophet needs to be publicly exposed and publicly repudiated. So when Harold Camping gets on radio and TV and says Jesus Christ is coming back on May 21st, and he goes, ooh, just made a little tiny error in math. Oh, I meant, I really meant October He predicts in 1994, he predicts again, I can't remember the date, he predicts again in 2011, and how many strikes do you get before you are out? In baseball you get three, but in biblical prophecy, one is right. Because it's not biblical baseball. The moment that you say, this is what the Lord says, and you misrepresent what God says, then you're in big trouble. And in verse 2, it says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. What does Hananiah say? You may not get this right away, but let me help spell it out for you. The prophecy was warm. The prophecy was welcome. The prophecy was beautiful. The prophecy was hopeful. The Hebrew in this text is in what's known as the prophetic perfect. That means it's in the past tense. It's said in such a way that it's already been accomplished. It's already been done. There is no way that it can't happen. And that's the way most real prophets spoke in the the ancient world and particularly in the Bible. The problem? Not true. Imagine a leader gets on and says, we are out of the recession. There is no economic danger. And guess what? Housing prices are going to soar. The American dollar is going to come back. Um, All of the people who are unemployed are going to be employed. And they smile and they laugh and they cheer and they say, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! That would be wonderful news. 
if it were true. (laughs) Remember what we've been hearing week after week? The prophet has declared there's judgment coming. Rebelling against God, resisting God, disobeying God. It's a bad idea. Please don't do it. Turn from your sin. Turn to the Lord. Trust him. The king of Babylon is going to come. And now Hananiah says, guess what? Our prayers have been answered. The yoke of bondage and enslavement is about to be broken. You see, when you jump at conclusions, you can't always expect a happy landing. And the truth is, false teachers and false prophets will often speak in the name of the Lord. And I know what some of you are thinking. No one in their right mind, no one in their right mind would ever utter these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if the Lord didn't say it, right? That's the point. You mean there are wicked men and women who would actually play games, pretend to hear from God when they are in fact not hearing from God? And that's the challenge. False teachers and false prophets will often speak in the name of the Lord falsely. But again, we, we are people, and I don't want to use the word gullible, Maybe naive, maybe trusting. I mean, clearly in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and he says that we're to think the best and the highest. And really we are. When When we're having conversations with people, we hope that in the course of the conversation, their point in in talking with us isn't to deceive us, isn't to undermine our faith. It isn't to disrespect the Bible or disrespect what God has to say. But guess what? Some people take advantage of other people. Especially people who love the Lord and who love God's word and who love the Bible. And so when you're listening to somebody on TV or when you're listening to someone on the radio and they get on TV and they get on the radio and they say, I love God and I love God's word and I love the Bible and I love the people of God and I love the church of God. You think, hallelujah. And then they say things that are wicked and that are false That are inconsistent with the truth or inconsistent with the character of God. But this is what false teachers do. They will speak publicly. They will speak in the name of the Lord falsely. They will appeal to a legitimate authority. And I want you to reread it again. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. I have a question for you. Where do you suppose this evil thought came from? Let's just speculate just for a moment. From hell? Possibly. From patriotism? Possibly. From wishful thinking? Possibly. From the Lord? No. Wherever else it came from, it didn't come from the Lord. And so that means it either came from his imagination or it came from hell. Look what it says. By the way, an evil thought passes through your door. When an evil thought passes through your door, first as a stranger 
and then you invite it in as a guest and then install it as a master, then you're in trouble. And from time to time, an evil thought will enter my mind. Maybe it will enter your mind. Do you ever have an evil thought? That maybe the Bible isn't true and that maybe what God says isn't true and that maybe the skeptics and the critics and the apostates, that that all of the people who suggest that the Bible isn't true and that Jesus isn't Lord and that Christ isn't king and that heaven isn't real or hell isn't real, that all of a sudden you might entertain that notion just for a split moment. And the remedy? The remedy is always... Then explain to me Jesus's life and explain to me Jesus's death and explain to me Jesus's resurrection. And guess what? That's what Martin Luther said. He said, when the devil comes knocking at the door of your heart, let Jesus answer for you. In verse 3, look what it says. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house. Those are the treasures that had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Remember earlier he had come. He had sacked the city. He took some of the temple treasures. Remember, he took the cream of the crop of the leadership of Jerusalem. And he took them captive, including Daniel and his friends, and hauled them away to Babylon. And so this false prophet declares that the temple treasures will be returned to Jerusalem within two full years. And in verse 4 it says, And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, because he was taken captive by the king of Babylon with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. The false prophecy includes the return of Jeconiah, the return of the exiles, the problem. Jeremiah predicted that Jeconiah or Jehoiachin would die in Babylon. I want you to turn back in your Bibles to chapter 22. In chapter 22, beginning in verse 24... As I live, says the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those who face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. They shall not return. They shall not return. Here's the problem. If this prophecy is true, then Jeremiah is a liar. Minimum misrepresented God and misrepresented the person of God and misrepresented the word of God. So here's your choices. God told the truth through Jeremiah. God told the truth through Hananiah or God didn't tell the truth to Jeremiah or Hananiah, perhaps for that matter. But they both can't be true at exactly the same time. 
God can't say you're going to Babylon and you're going to die there. And oh, by the way, you're coming back from Babylon and you're going to be restored to the position you used to have. Now, this becomes an important part of our understanding of what it means to be a false teacher or a false prophet. Because a false teacher or a false prophet will distort the Bible, will deny the Bible, will add to the scripture or subtract from the scripture. And so... Here's the deal. False teachers, false prophets distort, deny, add to the Bible, take away from the Bible. But here's the point. In the process of doing that, they lead people astray. They lead people away from God and away from Christ and away from salvation. This is why it's so important. That we know the truth and that we tell the truth. Look what it says in verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. Remember the point earlier. A public prophecy requires a public response. So, for instance, if I get on the, on the radio and say something stupid... And something wrong, something evil, something wicked, something designed to lead people astray. Shouldn't I be held accountable and responsible? If I say something publicly, shouldn't I be held publicly accountable? And the same is true of every person who has a radio show and a television show. I'm even going to go so far as to say everyone who publishes a book, because if they publish the book and they make it available for everyone to read, then they should be held publicly accountable when they lie about God and when they lie about Jesus and when they lie about what Jesus says. And so it says, Jeremiah speaks and it says in verse six and the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels, the treasures of the Lord's house and all who were carried away back captive from Babylon to this place. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is Jeremiah saying, I agree with the false prophet. I'm going to suggest to you that I don't think so. I don't think Jeremiah is saying. Oh, great, I was wrong and I'm a false prophet. I don't think so. Here's what I think Jeremiah is saying. I wish what you're saying was true. But it's not true. Imagine a person gets on national TV and one of the people on TV say, Now, no, no, just tell me the truth. Is Jesus Christ the Lord? Well, Larry, yes, Jesus is the Lord. For people who reject Jesus and who continue in sin, who believe that the Bible is a fairy tale, are they going to hell? Well, I don't know. You know, who am I to judge, Larry? 
But doesn't the Bible say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Doesn't it say that our sins separate us from God? Doesn't it say there's a reason, there's a reason, there's a reason why God sent Jesus into the world to live the life that we could never live, to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead, and that everyone, everyone who believes in Him can experience the forgiveness of God and the redemption of God and reconciliation to God. This is why we preach the gospel. So isn't the right response... Yes, Larry, they're going to hell. I wish it weren't true. I wish that there were lots of different ways to God, and I I wish that everyone would come to Christ, but the truth is the Bible makes it abundantly clear that for reasons that I don't always understand, there are people who love lies. And they love rebellion and they love selfishness and they want to live apart from God. Amen. Amen. Remember, in the Hebrew language, that means so be it. That was the people's response to the curses listed in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 15 through 26, when the Lord said, I'm going to be your God. Amen. I'm going to lead you and guide you. Amen. I'm going to watch over you and protect you. Amen. Remember all of the blessings they said, amen. But he goes, oh, but this is the downside, by the way. If you dishonor me, if you disobey me, if you rebel against me, there's going to be horrible consequences. Notice the children of Israel didn't say, time out. Time out. Tap, tap, go back, deals off. I don't want to be you to be God and I don't want to be your people. They didn't say that. They said, amen. We will take the good and we will take the bad. We will take all of the promises that you've promised. And we'll take all of the judgment that you communicate. Because we really mean it. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to serve you. You'll remember that God told Jeremiah not to pray for him. In chapter 7, verse 16. In chapter 14, verse 11, you'll remember Jeremiah said, well, um, they're going to listen to this message and they're going to respond to the message and they're going to obey, right? Everyone's going to hear about how good you are and how gracious you are and how merciful you are and how generous you are. And they're going to all go, what were we thinking? It just it doesn't make sense to rebel against God. Let's get, in our, get on our knees. Let's tear our clothes. Let's put ash on top of our head. Let's cry out to him in the hopes that his anger will turn. But they didn't do that, did they? And look what it says. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries. Assyria to the north, Egypt to the south, Ammon and Moab to the east. Persia, over and over again, all of the of, of, of the uh, the nations that have been outlined, the prophets who have been before me and before you prophesied against the countries and the great kingdoms. And here's what they said, war and disaster and pestilence. But Hananiah says no war, no pestilence, no disaster, peace. 
There's really no such thing as hell. Nothing really happens. You know, when you die, what you do is you enter a tunnel of light and you meet all of your relatives who have died before you. They have a great big smile on their face, turkey and dressing, and everybody, it doesn't matter how bad you are, it doesn't matter how wicked, serial killer, we don't, well, maybe that's a little bad. Maybe Jeffrey Dahmer will be in cosmic time out for just a little bit. But everyone will eventually go to a place of birds and bees and flowers and trees and the moon up above and a thing called love. The only problem with the message? It's not true, is it? What you say and what you do here matters. How you live matters. How you love matter. All of it matters. Everything that you've ever read in the Bible, as you open the Bible and you turn the pages, did it ever occur to you that everything Jesus has ever said is true? And it will happen. And that's part of the point. The Lord do so, it says, and perform your words in verse 6. But it's not going to happen. Because here's what Jeremiah points out. Guess what? In order for Hananiah's prophecy to be true, all of the other prophets have to be false. The prophets in the past resisted the temptation to say what the people wanted to hear. The one who speaks and contradicts the revelation must await the fulfillment of his prophecy as proof that he speaks for God. And so as you go back in your Bible and you read the book of Deuteronomy... In Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, chapter 18, if you have a chance, either write it down or take a quick peek. But in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 20, this is what it says. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, well, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is not the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Here's the test. If what the prophet prophesies is true, it'll, it'll come to pass, right? And if it's not true, it won't. Do you realize that Joseph Smith prophesied that there were men living on the moon? Do you realize that Joseph Smith prophesied that he would one day become the president of the United States? Now, the reason why I bring this up Is it's not true. So if Mary Baker Glover Eddy prophesies something that's not true, if Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, prophesies that Jesus will come back in 1914 and he doesn't come back, in 1927 and he doesn't come back, if the, if the Watchtower and Track Society predicts he's going to come back in 1956, he doesn't come back, and in 1974, he doesn't come back, how many times do they get to predict the coming of Jesus and be proven wrong before you'll go, I think you're a false prophet. 
I had a Jehovah's Witness come to my door one day. And he said, hi, I'm with the Watch, Share, and Track Society. I go, oh, you're a Russellite. No, we don't call ourselves that. We call ourselves Jehovah's Witnesses. I go, but didn't Charles Taze Russell found your organization? Yes. Did he have a lot of important things to say to you? Yes. I said, was he a true prophet of God? Well, not everything he said was true. I go, what is it that he didn't say that isn't true? And the guy put his head down and he goes, I guess I shouldn't have said that. But that's part of the point. Jeremiah points out that false prophets and false prophecy contradicts past prophecies. The prophets in the past resisted the temptation to say what the people wanted to hear. And even Jeremiah, I suspect, at times was tempted to say, it doesn't matter if you live a life of idolatry and adultery and rebellion. Because in the end, God doesn't really care. But God does care, doesn't he? He cares. And because of the people's persistent rebellion and willful disobedience, the prophets declared that it would be war and disaster and pestilence. And some might think that a message of war and disaster and pestilence excluded any message of hope, but they wouldn't be right. They would be misrepresenting the prophets because remember what Isaiah said and remember what Jeremiah said and remember what Ezekiel said. There was this constant reoccurring statement that it doesn't have to end badly just like in the New Testament there is hope and there is peace and there is forgiveness and there is love for the people who will turn from their sin and turn to the Savior it says in verse 9 as for the prophet who prophesies of peace when the word of the prophet comes to pass the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent he's Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 18, and he's basically saying, Hananiah, what you've said sounds really, really tasty. Let's just see if it happens. Let's just see if what you says comes true. Jeremiah reminds the priests and the people that the prophet who prophesies peace carries this awful burden. And here's the point. He's talking about a peace but it's a peace without repentance and it's a peace without turning from sin and it's a peace without coming to grips with what God requires. And guess what? There are a lot of people who want that kind of peace. You know what? I want to have a good life and I want to have meaningful relationships and I want to have a good job and I want to be able to do all of this and I want to be able to do all of that. Do you want to come to the Savior? No. Do you want to believe the Bible? No. But is there really peace with God apart from God, apart from the plan of God, apart from the person of Jesus, apart from repentance? Is there salvation apart from Jesus? What do you think the answer is? There really isn't. The problem with Hananiah's prophecy wasn't true. The prophecy is the exact opposite message of Jeremiah's. Like I said in the earlier chapter, God promised the return 
of the treasures and the exiles, but not until after a seven year period. And this becomes an important point. Was there a prophecy that said that the treasures and the people would return? Yes. Yeah. But it would be 70 years. Hananiah says the treasures and the exiles are going to return. So far, so good. In two years. Well, Jeremiah's already prophesied 70 years. Is 70 years the same as two years? No. It isn't. So if the prophecies part right and part wrong, how are we to think about the prophecy? It's all wrong. That's exactly right. Good class. Good. You see, false teachers and false prophets distort revelation. You'll notice that they quote the parts of the Bible that they want you to hear, but then they leave out the parts that they don't want you to hear. And so look at the false prophet's defiance in verse 10. Then Hananiah, the prophet, took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. He smashed it into pieces. The false prophets throw throws a fit. Hey, by the way, when you expose false prophets for being false prophets, does it sometimes make them angry? Yeah, it kind of does. And this false prophet is very angry. He takes off Jeremiah's sermon illustration. You think you invented sermon illustrations. Well, guess what? I'm going to have a sermon illustration too. So he takes the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and he smashes it on the ground. You know what's interesting? Hananiah predicts freedom from the nation. He predicts the defeat of Babylon. He predicts freedom for the nation, defeat for Babylon. And look what it says in verse 11. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now, it's interesting. He does the sermon illustration. It's very dramatic. But it's not true. And I want to draw special attention. Look what it says. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. You know what's interesting to me? When Hananiah tries to take the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck, he doesn't go, give me my yoke back. Look, don't ruin my sermon illustration. He lets him take it. He lets him smash it. Jeremiah doesn't resist Hananiah in the removal of the yoke. He doesn't even reply at that point to the false prophet's message because guess what? Even his anger and even his resistance and even his rebellion, God is going to use for a brand new message. And what is the brand new message? You know, some observing the scene might have interpreted Jeremiah's silence to mean agreement. But Jeremiah doesn't agree with the false prophet or the false prophecy. Jeremiah is waiting for the right message at the right time once he hears from the Lord. By the way, that's something that should be important to each and every one of you. When you don't know what to say, keep your mouth shut. When you don't know what to say, keep your mouth shut and pray and say, Lord, I don't know what to say at this point, but I'm going to go home 
and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to wait to hear from you. And look what it says in verse 12. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, oh, finally, we have a message. Go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. Oh, guess what? False prophets and false prophecy. Do they say things and do things? Yeah. Does God sometimes allow their wickedness to be displayed? Because even God is going to use their wickedness as an illustration. And that's exactly what's happening. Oh, it used to be a a yoke of, of wood. But now it's going to be a yoke of iron. We have to have the right message at the right time. God has allowed the false prophet to make the false statement because the false prophecy is going to illustrate God's plan. The yoke of wood is going to be replaced with a yoke of iron. They're going to be in such a circumstances that the nations and the people and the city will not escape. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. What is the yoke of Jesus? Jesus says, come and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is not heavy. It's easy. And it's light. Do you understand what he's saying? His yoke is his willingness to lead you and guide you and direct you according to the plan of God and the purpose of God. But what happens when you take the light and easy yoke of Jesus off and you smash it to the ground in your life? Is there a heavy yoke? Let me just ask you a question. Whose yoke do you think is lighter? The yoke of Jesus or the yoke of Satan? Which do you think is heavier? Freedom from drugs or drug addiction? Which do you think is easier? Purity or infidelity? Which do you think is easier? Contentment or discontentment? Which do you think is easier? Joy or depression? What do you think is heavier? And what do you think is lighter? Because the moment you decide to take the yoke of Jesus from off of your circumstances and you elect to put a yoke of selfishness on and you elect to put a yoke of self-determination and you want to do what you want to do and you want to have what you want to have and you want to be what you want to be. Guess what? It's not an easy yoke. It's going to be a difficult yoke. In verse 14, look what it says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. Here's what, Je- here's what the Lord at this particular moment reiterates. No matter how many times and no matter how many ways the false prophets spell out the message, it's not a true message. 
I have a plan and a purpose, and I'm going to accomplish my plan and my purpose. Why is this important for each and every one of you? Because no matter how many false prophets tell you that the New Testament isn't true, and that the message of Jesus isn't true, and that the plan of God in your life is not true, it is true. The, the false prophet will be forced to wear a yoke of iron. The nations who listen to the false prophet will be, will be forced to wear a yoke of iron. God had chosen Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to have dominion and fulfill and accomplish the plan. It says in verse 15, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet. Hear now, Hananiah. The Lord has not sent you. But you make this people trust in a lie. So when the false prophet who claims to, to go from God and they're not really from God, when they claim to tell the truth and in fact they don't tell the truth, how do you think God feels about it? Good? No. The false prophet wasn't sent by God. The false prophet was guilty of lying the false prophet was guilty of misleading the people and to trust in a lie. You know, a lot of people will say to me, what's the harm? What's the harm? What's the harm in trusting a false prophet and false prophecy? Why don't you just let him be? Why don't you just leave him alone? Because a lie isn't the truth. Hananiah urged, persuaded the people to believe a lie. I want you to think this through. Here's what Hananiah was saying. The plan of God and the will of God and the purposes of God and the judgment of God, it's not going to happen. Rebellion is an option. God wants us to rebel against Babylon. God wants us to rebel against Babylon. But it's not true. Do you know what the most dangerous words ever spoken? It happened in the garden in the book of Genesis. Remember when Satan said, has God really said you will not surely die? You see, the most dangerous thing that anyone could ever say to you is, is the Bible really true? Is the word of God really true? Are the principles of God really true? Is the message of Jesus really true? A lie which is all a lie may be met and fought outright, but a lie which is part of truth is, is a harder matter to fight. There's only one thing more wicked than an outright lie, and it's a half lie or a quarter lie. By the way, imagine I gave you a delicious foo-foo drink. And you sipped it. And I go, oh, by the way, I put rat droppings in there. How much rat droppings has to be in there before you decide you're not going to drink it anymore? The old German leader, Otto von Bismarck, said, people never lie so much as after a hunt and during a war and before an election. Boy, do we know that right now, huh? I'm going to give you a quote. You tell me who said it. By means of shrewd lies, unremittingly repented or repeated, 
It is possible to make people believe that heaven is hell and hell is heaven. The greater the lie, the more readily it will be believed. It was Adolf Hitler. D.L. Moody said, lying covers a multitude of sins temporarily. Temporarily. You may think you're getting away with something, but you're getting away with nothing. Malcolm Muggridge, a famous journalist who became a convert to Christ late in his life, wrote, People do not believe lies because they have to. People believe lies because they want to. One of the most hilarious events of a former famous president's administration was when George Stephanopoulos, he was the White House aide, he came on Larry King. And, and, and Larry King asked him, what about the, all the promises that the president made before the election? And his response was, the president has kept all the promises he intended to keep. Oh, don't you wish you could take that one back? The former president said, nearly everyone will lie to you, given the right circumstances. You know, he's really right. Nearly everyone will lie to you, given the right circumstances. But God will never lie to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because if you forget everything else in the message, remember this. God will never lie to you. God will always tell the truth. Doug Grotice, my friend, said, everyone may be entitled to his own opinion, but everyone is not entitled to his own truth. Truth is but one. There's one singular truth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and everything they say and do. And look what it says in verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. The prophet will be punished. And in verse 17, look what it says. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. How long did it take for him to die? Look at the beginning of the chapter. In the, in the beginning, it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month. In the seventh month, Hananiah is 60 days. Two months later, Hananiah is dead. But you know what secular theologians and skeptics, agnostics, and atheists will tell you? <clears throat> it was coincidence. He just sort of dropped dead. It's a bizarre coincidence. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that Hananiah became aware of his guilt and the burden of his wickedness began to weigh heavily on his soul. You know, you would think that a man dropping dead would cause people to go, hmm, 
Let's just pause for a moment and think about this. By the way, question. In the Bible, does God usually strike false prophets dead right on the spot? Not always. Not always, but there's several examples. There are notable exceptions. The followers of Korah in number 16, remember they're rebelling and disobeying God. And God says, okay, earth, open up, swallow them whole. Bye. There you go, into the bowels of the earth. Uzzah in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Assyrian army in 2 Kings chapter 19. They're all dead overnight. And of course, the famous example of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. But God doesn't always just kill false prophets right on the spot. If they did, you'd see a lot of dead people on the Christian channel. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. You know, a man can't always be defending the truth. There has to be a time when we feed on the truth. And the truth is this. That if you want to exercise discernment, if you want to be able to know right from wrong and good from evil and lies from truth. It's really important that you understand what the Bible says. This is why we spend so much time reading God's word. If you want to learn to exercise discernment and grow in faith and love and holiness, just remember this. That the Christian life isn't some intellectual game where the object of the game is to prove that you're right and everybody else is wrong. We are to know right from wrong and we are to know good from evil and we are to know truth from lies. But remember, that's no substitute for prayer and fellowship and love for Jesus. You know, develop a good grasp of Scripture. Learn to think in a logical and a sensitive way. Study Christian doctrine so that you can know about essential Christianity. Learn as much as you can about people with questionable teaching. Remember what it says in Proverbs 18.13. He who gives an answer before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. Make sure... That you know what you're saying. That you know the truth. That you're willing to defend the truth. And when you don't know, say so. And when you don't know what to do, pause, pray, and allow God to speak to you on how to go forward. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the word of God. Lord, we want to be men and women who love you and serve you. Lord, we're not trying to find what's wrong with everybody else. Lord, we're trying to proclaim what's right about Jesus. About his love and about his mercy and about his grace and about his sacrifice. About the hope that we have in Jesus. And the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And the future that we have in Jesus. And so, Lord, stir in our hearts a love for Jesus and a love for his word. 
And a willingness, Lord, a willingness to tell the truth. And a willingness to confront lies. Especially when people's lives are at risk and their souls are in danger. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.